right, let's take our Bibles and go to the Old Testament this morning in Psalm chapter 22. And uh, as you turn in there, we uh, have a special announcement. We did have something on Wednesday night called a business meeting. No cops were called. No fatalities occurred. And uh, it was a good time. And to just give you the skinny of it this morning, uh, the Lord has done a lot in the church through your efforts and through being able to share the gospel with people. And uh, the sound system that we have uh, was good at one point, but it's very old. It uh, has glitches. And uh, we think that, that uh, Moses probably thought it was a good sound system because it was probably back in his time that they were using that. And some of you will get that later. But basically the fact of the matter is, is that we're having to use very old equipment. Uh, we have a... And Jerry is the one who sets this up, so this is not a pun. Uh, this is Jerry Rig. No offense, Jerry. Where, wherever you, maybe Jerry. There we, there we are. Front row. All right, that's all. You got front row. Way to do it. But uh, we, what the, what the proposal is, it was approved by the church uh, by overwhelming majority, and uh, we will have uh, a screen here, and we can be retractable to project words, videos, lyrics, whatever we need to do there. Also on the back wall for singers, speakers, uh, choir, uh, band, whoever, so that they can keep track with the lyrics that way. It will be a comprehensive new sound system, and we'll do some stage remodeling as well to make room. And uh, all of this uh, comes as a result of God bringing us what you all told me you wanted to see when I came. Been here almost three years. In July, it will be three years. And when I came, I said, what do y'all want to see the Lord do in the church? I said, we want to see people saved. We want to see young people come to Jesus Christ and become a part of this church. And I want to say to our senior members, long-standing members, uh, what you saw this morning is you saw young people all in this choir. You saw when the band played, the stage filled with young people. If you look around, you see, praise God, not just young people, but people of all ages. And if it wouldn't be awkward, I would tell you all to look around, but then you'd all be looking at each other and you'd probably avoid eye contact and it'd just be a little weird. So we're not going to do that. But here's something that I'm going to be very, very, very upfront and honest with all of us, not just on a business meeting. And I don't know many were not able to make it because of work and such and your favorite TV show and other spiritual things like that. But... um. <laughs> But there, there is an old adage that's not just a southernism. Some people say it's called stupid. Other people say it's insanity. And it's doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, but expecting different results. I want to be very honest with you that if we move forward and really, I mean really, really reach people in Franklin County who are far away from God, it involves one central thing and that we never compromise on this. We all... I got one, Thank you, Brother Ronnie. I appreciate that. Got one amen on that. In order to reach people to where they're truly reached by Jesus Christ, you have to tell them about Jesus Christ and not water it down so they, don't, they walk out saying, well, do I need to do better? Or do I need to sign a card? Or do I need to join a church? If people leave confused about the fact that the only thing they need to do, if they don't walk out understanding the only thing that they can do is realize to admit to God, I can't. 
and to transfer ownership of their life and have Him come and be Lord and Savior, then I have failed and that we have failed. So the one thing that you can never do if you're going to reach people for Jesus Christ, you can never water down the message about Jesus Christ. That's basically common sense right there. Also, something that you have to do if you're going to reach out into the culture is the gospel never changes, but methods do. Let me repeat that. The gospel never changes. If Jesus doesn't come back 200 years from now, if people are still living in this area, culture will change and methods will change. The gospel never changes. But in order to to really reach out, uh, we believe that this proposal will help us do that. And the thing is, is if none of us share the gospel, none of us pray, we can have the best sound system in the world, we can have the latest technology, and it won't do, this is a huge theological word, it won't do diddly squat. Now, the Lord has blessed us financially. The whole package costs a little under $69,000. Silence in the church of God. Things cost money today. The stewardship team, the deacons, everyone that was involved did an outstanding job of getting the best deal possible. But as most of us realize, to have something done today in regards to technology, it costs money. I'm going to be very honest. It costs a lot of money. Our friends at Franklin Heights, when they uh, did their sound system a few years ago, it cost 300 grand. So we're way, way, way under that. But here's the, here is the, um, here's usually where the conflict comes in church. Have people who love Jesus, they say, Jeff, we want to see people saved. We want to see young people saved, but we don't want to change any of the methods in which we use. You're not going to see any people saved. And if it, if God does overwhelm our methodology, which doesn't work, it will be in spite of our methodology and not because we're trying to do everything to reach people. Do we all understand this morning that when we take care of a building, when we have quality sound, when we, uh, when we do everything that we can to make the gospel clear, that is telling people when they come into the, into this place, we value you. It is so quiet in here. Seriously, we could be that church that says, well, we're willing to, to, to reach a few people that are somewhat like us, or are we willing to use the money that people have given to reach people and use that uh, to actually do what it was given for? So what we're doing is giving the church, and if you're a guest here this morning, this is not for you. If the Lord leads you to give, that's fine. But for our, our members, we're giving a 90-day period to see what the Lord would raise in terms of finances to cover uh, what is needed to bring us up to date. And then uh, if all of that amount has been raised, that's awesome. But if all of it was, is not raised in 90 days, then the church will cover the remaining balance. So I love y'all. And um, the Lord is bringing His people uh, every week. And we, we counted up not too long ago. We've had over 90-something people join uh, Rocky Mount Baptist Church formally. Uh, I think about five of those have found other places uh, to worship after they had come here so they're no longer with us. Not all of the ones who have come are plugged into Sunday school, Bible study. We hope that we can get you plugged in in due time. But here, here's something that I know. That if God gives us people, we need to be good managers and good stewards of people. And I don't want to stand before God one day as a pastor and say, God, I was afraid of what people in the church might think. And so I only reached this handful 
when I could have just taken your vision and gotten with the other leaders and they got on board and say, let's reach hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people for Jesus Christ. Because there is a heaven, there is a hell. God has given us this building. He's given us this budget. He's given us each other to, 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 to network together and to try to reach people. And honestly, if you can't see that and you're a member here, I encourage you to reevaluate where you are with the Lord. That's not saying we have to agree on every single thing, okay? But we have to agree on the gospel and why we're here. We are here to reach people for Christ. Alright, so that there it is. And uh, if you want to know all the details, you can pick up one of our newsletters and a way that you can get involved in that. So let's go in our Bibles to Psalm 22 in the Old Testament. This is our fourth message in our series on the problem of evil. And the question, why does God let bad things happen? Psalm 22 begins with this phrase, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? These are the words that Jesus uttered, that first phrase, when He was on the cross. And if you have a Jewish friend who does not yet believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you can go to Isaiah chapter 53. And if you've read your Bible, you know Isaiah chapter 53 describes all of the suffering that Jesus went through going to the cross. But there are some Jewish scholars who will try to tell you that that refers to the nation of Israel and not to Jesus. You can transition to Psalm chapter 22, and it is an amazing, amazing psalm about the silence of God. Now I want you to think, some of us have more life to think about than others. Think back at that time in your life, or maybe it's right now, to when you said, Lord, I'm trying to search your word. I'm trying to find what you would have me to do. I want to be obedient. But it seems like you're silent. It seems like, God, you're telling me in your word, if I seek after you, I will find you. And if I knock, the door will be open. Well, God, I'm seeking and I'm not finding and I'm knocking and the doors seem to be dead bolted against me. Lord, for this situation in my family, I need your help. God, for my own issues, my own addictions, my own baggage, my own problems. God, I'm seeking you, but it seems like you're not there. And I think deep down in my heart, I I think I know you are, but God, why are you silent? This is something that philosophers and theologians have for hundreds of years called the issue of the hiddenness or the silence of God. To where God just doesn't seem to answer. Let me give you a quote by the great scholar several hundred years ago, Blaise Pascal. And this is a little deep, so let's put on our floaties, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, okay? We're going to go into deep end here for just a second. It's in your uh, your bulletin, your outline, so you can read it along with me. Blaise Pascal said this, If there were no obscurity, speaking of God, man would not feel his corruption. If there were no light, man could not hope for a cure. Thus, it is not only right, but useful for us that God should be partly concealed and partly revealed, since it is equally dangerous for man to know God without knowing his own wretchedness as to know his wretchedness without knowing God. So in other words, 
What he's saying is that often we understand that God is there. Right? We know in our conscience, we know from past sermons, people telling us that God is there. But there are some times that we go through a deep, dark valley and it feels like He's not. We know factually, if you've studied your Bible at all, done any type of research, that the evidence for Christianity is ridiculously huge. I mean, like, if you, if you do any reading, you're just like, man, this book is true. Jesus had to have risen from the dead. This is truth. But sometimes, when you get beaten around by the waves of life, your feelings can begin to tell your rational faculties, God isn't there. Some of you have gone through divorce. You say, God, where are you? Marriage problems. Maybe you were raised in an abusive home. You remember trying to go to bed at night and you heard your mom and your dad fighting. Well, they came in with you and you're just praying, say, God, please help me. And it didn't feel like God was there. Notice what the Bible says. My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? You know, here's what we're, we're, we're going to need to do. This is in your outline. We're going to give you four steps from this text. What to do, actions to take, ways to obey when you feel like God is silent. Number one, and it's right there in the text, verse, first few verses, is be brutally honest with God about your problems. Be brutally honest with God about your problems. Now, can you imagine David saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, he's speaking to the God who's full of love, full of compassion. The Jews understood this in the Old Testament, that God was full of loving kindness. But yet he was so, he was so torn up inside that he said, God, why have you forsaken me? And probably a majority of us here are from the South and we have some some transplants as well, and who are learning Southern culture. We have a thing in the South. We say, how are you doing? What do most of us respond with? Fine. Liars. <laughs> you so know, you are so not fine. You, you know that things, but see, here's the thing. We are greeted with, how's it going? We're like, oh, it's, it's, it's fine. Lost my job. Dog got hit by a car. House caught on fire last week. Wrecked my car. I'm doing all right. You are not. If you're very mature in Christ, the grace of God is sustaining you during that time. But what we say, we try to minimize it and say, well, it's not that bad. And if you and I are not careful, when it comes to our relationship with God and our prayer life, we've got to be careful because what will happen is we'll be old school southern fake with God. Have you noticed that in your own life before? That sometimes we don't want to be totally open and honest with what we're feeling and our emotions, guess what? God knows them anyway. Isn't that, isn't that funny sometimes? We think that we, well, I don't know how to pray that well. I don't, I don't know how I could really communicate to God all that I'm feeling. He knows it. And He's been in worse case scenarios than we have. God seems not to answer. Verse 1 and 2. So we're just going to walk through this text 
verse by verse. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we have some there in the pew. Uh, if you don't want to take that one home, you totally can. We have uh, members' Bibles that are back here in Lost and Found. People who love their Bibles so much, they're in Lost and Found for like six months. You can totally take that. All right? You can steal that. Somebody's like, oh, I have my Bible. My, all right, it's back there. Okay. Verse number two. We're going to walk through this and see the process that the Bible walks us through. Uh, verse two. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Now right here, it's an absolute confession to God. Absolute dependence upon God. Uh, not only that, go to verse three. It kind of changes to this. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and they were not put to shame. So in other words, you can sometimes feel in the dark night of the soul, God, I know people who you've answered. I know my mom and my dad or my friends or the other church or this person, it seems like you've helped them with their issues, but it doesn't seem like you're helping me. This is in the Bible. You have to understand to be brutally honest with God. He knows. Also, verse number 6. Notice how low David is at this point. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And they say this, He trusts in the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, for He delights in Him. In other words, it's to the point to where He's saying, people are not only against me for me, they're against me because of my faith in you. Have you ever been in that situation in your life? You get on fire for God, but your family becomes the cold water committee and comes in and tries to help you be normal like everybody else. In other words, for you to be spiritually dead like everybody else. They say, we don't mind if you go to church, but all of this Jesus stuff, you've got to... They may not say it this way, but don't be so radical in your walk with Jesus Christ. Guess what biblical normalcy is? Biblical normalcy is when we follow Jesus. Not when we come... And I have my phone. When we come to church one hour a week, go with me on this. And we say, God, speak to me in one hour. Now, I know sometimes I miss some of your calls if my phone is off. Imagine if I only had my phone on one hour a week. And I tried to stay up with some of you. Keep that relationship going. You know one thing I think we need to stop right here and say... And by, by the way, there are some of you that's your first time back to church. You, 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 you don't have much of a church background. You're like, dude, I, I'm not. that's awesome. You are starting out on your journey to follow Jesus Christ. Well, let me talk to, to the seasoned Christians and church members here for just a few moments. If you never crack the Bible during the week, if you never search out godly sermons and resources, if you never try to say, what's a good devotional book that I can crack open and read? Or or if you have a, a smartphone or, or the radio, say, what's, a, what's, what's, a, what's, a, what's something I can plug into and listen to that's edifying to my soul, that's about Jesus on my way to and from work? You'll never come pray with us on Wednesday night. You will not come uh, to, to, to a Sunday school class. You'll just come maybe one Sunday a week, your church member, and say, God, speak to me. That's the same as if you're expecting to have a relationship with someone and you turn your phone on one hour a week and you're surprised that God seems silent. 
I've been amazed in my short life. I have adults come to me. Everything is going so wrong. This is going bad. This is going bad. Okay, well, are you plugged into a small group? No. Do you have a group of Christians that you pray with? No. When, when do you read your Bible? Almost never. But I can't believe that God is not speaking to me. This is how He speaks to us, y'all. This is gonna be brutal. We're gonna be brutally honest this morning. But one of the most important things that you need to integrate into your walk with Christ is getting connected with other people that are following Jesus Christ. That's what these small group Bible studies are for. That's what a Wednesday night prayer meeting is for. You get together and it doesn't have to be like ooey gooey, awkward, I'm sharing my, but, but we are, we're together for the gospel. And if all that happens is you come and you hear a sermon and songs and you go home, when are you allowing God to get through your life if you never seek Him during the week? And sometimes we're surprised at the silence of God. Y'all okay? Open up the phone line to the Lord. Verse number 9. Notice how David the psalmist transitions to remember God's greatness in the midst of his dark night of the soul. Verse 9. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. Yet you made me trust at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be Not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Now notice this. In verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Now this is not giving the quarterback's perspective who has a weak offensive line. This is a Hebrew way of saying, my enemies are strong. Verse 13, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. Have you ever felt like that before? Say, God... I need you to speak to me. It seems like everyone in my life is encircling me and I am the one in the crosshairs. Now notice how it changes directions in verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Hold on. David, as far as we know, didn't have this happen to him. In verse uh, number 14, part B, it says, My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a piece of pottery or a potsherd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. It seems like this is talking now less about David and more about Jesus. Everybody look right here. We have to understand that Jesus experienced the silence of God. We understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. Amen? The Scripture teaches that. But so often it's so easy for us to overlook the fact that the Bible tells us that He was a man with flesh and blood and emotions like you and I. Imagine being Jesus and being betrayed. Imagine being Jesus needing some of your friends to pray with you and they're falling asleep. Imagine being Jesus when you're incurring all of that physical, emotional, and mental abuse. Blow after blow, insult after insult after insult. And he prayed to God, the Father in the garden, and said, God, if be your will, let this cup, this judgment pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but yours be done. Now, fathers, when I ask you a question, I'm not a father, but I do have a nephew, little Micah, and I was able to be with him a couple of weeks ago. 
And just, he's got, he's awesome. He's going to be like a little mountain man. He's got two teeth coming through the bottom and one on the top. You know, be a good hockey player. But I was just there, you know, he's making all these, these noises and stuff. And I thought, like this, this protective sense kind of just welled up in me. I said, this is not, he is my flesh and blood, but he's not my son. But if someone came in here to mess with them, it'd be jabbed to the face, right cross to the face, left kick to the leg, and then when he blinks, this is probably too violent for y'all, so I'm like, oh my Lord, we're in church. And then I will kick his head off. I will not kick him. His head will go. I mean, I, I, I will protect this little child. And by the way, if that's too violent for you, think about how much you love your own children. What's Proverbs say? Something about better to meet a fool in his... Uh, a she-bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly? You ever want to see the thing about women or some women prim and proper and, you know, debonair and they don't, they don't sweat, they glisten. Mess with one of their kids. <laughs> Mama will come after you and you will probably not survive without injuries. Here's the thing. Think about God the Father and His Son. God is totally sovereign, could have killed any one of the attackers. Jesus is taking all of that. The silence of His Father. The silence of God. And all sorts of abuse from people. Can you identify with that? We think sometimes that God is silent. But He's still sovereign. That's the bulk of this message. Even when He seems silent, He is still sovereign in your life. And then can you imagine God the Father pouring out His wrath against sin that was on His Son. Parents, imagine what that would be like to give your child for not your friend, but for your enemies. I can't conceive that. I cannot conceive that. Maybe in some crazy, alternate, weird, whacked out sci-fi universe, you've got your good friends and some person will say, well, maybe my child from a friend, but probably not. But a child, your child, for your enemies? No! A million times, no, no, no. It will not happen. But God the Father allowed His Son, placed His Son, brought His Son to that place of brokenness and silence. That's why Jesus cried with these first two verses there on the cross to God the Father. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? So if you've come to that time in your life of suffering to where it feels like God is silent, guess who you're in company with? You're in company with most of the biblical heroes, King David, but also the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, I'd encourage you to write this down. The Bible tells us in verses 14 through 16 in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. I love this. Yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this 
psalm begins to change in verse 19. David begins to cry out to God for help. In verse number 22, he says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You say, Jeff, what does this mean for us today? Well, we have to be brutally honest with God about what's going on deep inside your soul. But also we have to remember what God has done. Amen, church? When you get in that time and you say, God, it doesn't seem like you're here. Remember what He's done. Remember what He's brought you out of. Remember what He's bringing you to. And not only that, but in the midst of the silence of God, and when He doesn't seem to answer, run to Him anyway. Run to Him anyway. You say, Jesus, I'm reading Your Word. I'm trying to do the right thing. But it seems like all I get is resistance from people and silence from You. But God, I know. I know, I know, I know. It may not make sense to my friends and my family, but I know that You're real. So I'm going to pursue You anyway. I'm going to keep driving my boat, the boat of my life and driving the boat of my life until I can't do it anymore because I know, Lord, even if You've chosen me, To be a vessel of suffering. And so many of you have suffered in so many ways. Even if you have chosen in your sovereignty for me and my family to be a vessel of suffering, I still can trust you because I know what you did on the cross for my sin. You see the connection? If Jesus truly rose from the dead, then that means that the biggest problem that you and I could ever have has been fixed. And the silence of God will be erased with the coming of Jesus Christ again to take us home to be with Him. Also there, it gets even better. In verse 25, it says, From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. And then it says in verse 26, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. What he's saying is that God, even in the midst of your silence, I know that you will answer and I'm going to speak about you to people that are hurting just like me. Notice he says, the afflicted will eat and be satisfied. That's me and also people that I know. Verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and the families of the nation shall worship before you for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. There's a story about the... uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, his son was on an ocean voyage way back in the day before all this modern technology. And a storm, a brutal storm was was brewing there on, on the sea. And his son went up to the captain. All the men and the people and passengers were nervous about what was going to happen. Robert Louis Stevenson's son went up to the captain of the boat. And, and he said... I have good news. He came back down. And all that he did was meet with the captain. And he said the captain's face was one of resolve and one of confidence. And he said, well, how do you know it's going to be okay? And he says, because I saw the face of the captain. Roman Catholic friends have it partly right. Jesus did die upon the cross. But He's not there on a crucifix anymore. Amen. He's off the cross. 
Our beaten, bloodied Messiah was in the ground for three days, but He rose again. And because of that, He is here this morning through the teaching of His Word and through His Holy Spirit letting you know even in the midst of what it seems like the silence of God, He can still do amazing things in your life because other people will see how you stuck with Jesus. And they will say, I could have never done that. How did you do it? And you'll be able to tell them only because of the grace of God. And even if you and I experience valley after valley after valley, one day when we pass over the river of death, and sometimes for us, you know, a young guy, we don't talk about this because we think we're going to live forever and be invincible. But one day, all of us will cross over that river of death and we will be with Jesus and the silence of God, even if we thought it was real, will be a thing of the past. And we will be face to face with our Lord Jesus. All our problems... All the difficulties will be past tense. And He will welcome us as His sons and His daughters, not as ones who have earned His love, but ones who simply received the gift of His loving grace. And it will be the ultimate homecoming only because Jesus rose from the dead. Would you bow your heads and close with me? Close your eyes with me. This is our time of invitation, time of commitment. For the ones that are struggling and hurting. You, you believe that, you say, Jeff, it seems like I'm asking God to do something in my life and, and it's not happening. What I, what I desire is not happening. It's not happening in the same time frame. Jeff, what do I do? You need to, right now, be totally and completely honest with God about what's going on in your heart and your soul. Tell Him those emotions. Tell Him what you're feeling because He already knows it. And what you also have to do this morning is say, you have, you have to remember what God has done for you. Even if you had a rough life, He's brought you here to hear about a God who loves you. A God who can change you. A God who will give you unconditional love. The love of the Father that some of you maybe have never even conceived of being even being possible to know. God has brought you here to hear that. And then just commit. Say, God, I may not understand why these things happen, but I know that you love me because you sent your son Jesus to die for me. Therefore, through your power, I'm going to commit to you to start to follow you. I'm going to follow you. Help me, Jesus. Why don't you do business with God? And there are others of you and you have... The silence of God has been a reality because you've never even wanted to talk to the Lord. Right now, in humility, ask Him to be the Lord and boss and Savior of your life. You know that it is right now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next week. Right now is the point where something has to change. You know something has to change. And that, the very basis of it, is giving your life to Jesus Christ Christ. 